Well, as I predicted, the show is already over. Only lasts about 10 hours. So I got up this morning. It was chilly here in Bakersfield, California, that is. You know, at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, we went out walking. It was like 36 degrees, which for me is cold. But when I first got up, I turned on to see Killian Jordan going after the 24-hour world record. And it was supposedly 20 degrees at 11 a.m., they were up in northern Norway for some god-awful reason. As I said before, before the attempt even happened, I was like, why would you do a 24-hour race in northern Europe in the middle of winter? Well, not middle of winter, but it's the end of November. Um, I've done across the years half a dozen times, and it's, you know, across the years. starts December 28th, ends January 3rd. It's in the Phoenix, Arizona desert, and uh, it gets cold. You know, it gets down in the 20s or 30s there. Um, especially because it's at a baseball facility, the uh, spring training facility for the White Sox Dodgers. And so there's lots of grass and there's lots of fake streams and lakes. And the first year I went there, I was super, super cold. And so I just know that it's really difficult to run in cold weather like that. And here it was so much colder. Plus, it's just so distressing. I think they said they're only going to have like six, seven hours of daylight. So you're just kind of like, okay, why are they trying this 24-hour attempt in, the, in this location, and it was interesting. I actually jumped on before I went for my walk and kind of asked the kind of guy that was sort of the commentator. He was answering some questions, and I said, you know, why are you doing it in northern Norway in November? And his reply was, why not? And I kind of look at that as just pure arrogance. Um, I've commented on the fact that there's been a number of people this year alone, you know, a couple Canadians, had put together races, small little venues, kind of like this Killian Jordan thing, with only half a dozen people saying, you know, we're going to break the six-day record. Oh, we really haven't done any six-day races. Oh, sure, it's over 500 miles, and the record's been around since 1880, but we're going to go, and we're going to break it. Oh, I think I'll get to 500K in the first three days, and then both barely get to 400 or don't even get to 400 miles. And it's just sheer arrogance or something. It's, you know, I mean, I get it. Ultra math, you look at it and go, oh, that's going to be simple to do. So this whole Killian Jordan, yeah, he's a good runner. You know, he's won some trail races. But, you know, trail racing and, and track racing, ultras, road racing are totally different beasts. You know, trail running, you go up, you go down, you walk, you run, you migrate. Um, you're never really just putting in a constant pushing effort. And Killian really doesn't have any kind of background. He's never really run any mar road marathons, track 10Ks. I mean, Giannis Kuros, who owned the record, you know, he was like a two sub-230 marathoner and had some legit cred, you know, and he knew how to do it. And so it was strange when this record attempt came out of the blue of like, oh, you know, and I get it. It was kind of a whole marketing thing with Solomon in their new race shoe. And so I guess I didn't hear about the race until a few weeks ago. And so they put the race together. It's in northern Europe, northern Norway. They ended up getting five or six other people to run with them. Um, you know, they had to salt the track just because it was so dang cold. So they just had the, you know, the first two lanes uh, kind of dry or salted so they weren't frozen. The rest of it was frozen. Killian's wearing a ton of gear, which was, I guess, good, wearing a ton of Solomon gear. But running with all that clothing on isn't a good thing. And so the race went off, and, you know, he was cranking along, him and another guy who was a 90-kilo, 24-hour um, um, obstacle core racer. And 90 kilos is like 200 pounds. That's a big boy. So him and Matt, him and Killian were kind of running together. Killian was having to take a bunch of potty breaks. I guess his fueling or something was off. And so he was stopping and peeing quite often, which 
you know, it's always a thing that sucks, especially when you're in a track ultra where, you know, you're on a 400 meter track and there's not really, you can't just pull over to a bush or side. And then what was really crazy is at this race, they didn't have porta potties right on the track. They had a bathroom off to the side. So you had to like go 20 yards off course to go to the restroom. And you're like, if you're trying to break a world record, put some porta potties around the damn thing, especially when we got five people. So that was very strange. You know, you just put the porta potty in the outside lanes. That way you don't have to run into the bathroom, you know, do your business and come back out. So that was strange. I saw the four hour turnaround. I've done tons of these four hour turnarounds. I've done half a dozen six day races, a bunch of other races. And the turnaround, you know, you turn around immediately right at the line. And they usually put the cone right on the line using the timing mat. And I watched them and they put the cone like, you know, five, you know, ten, three or four meters past the line and so the guys were kind of confused plus they had to run into the kind of icy part of the um track and so they're doing an extra you know five or six meters every time they turn around so you add that up you add the bathroom up so i went out and did my walk came back and uh hung out watched the race you know and he was putting in some good splits him and the other guy the other guy had the lead actually the big the big uh, obstacle course racer, you know, they had like a 20K lead, like 13 miles up on Carlos's pace. But hey, you know, it's five, six hours into the thing. No big whoop. Um, and then my friend uh, got a hold of me and we went up to the bluffs a few hours later, like at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Went and did some miles up there. I come home and it's about 10 hours in and I notice the cameras on a group of people standing by like it looked like an injured or fallen runner. And I'm thinking... They're 10 hours in a race. These guys are stud runners. I mean, everybody else in the race knew what they're doing. I'm thinking, who fell down? Of course, there's not really any commentary. There's just a bunch of people and someone laying down. And I assume, well, it's probably Killian. I don't see him running. And uh, a friend of mine texts me and says, oh, you know, Killian went down on the track. And he's laying on the track. And my first thought was, now, how serious could it possibly be that you just collapse on a frozen track? And now it's nighttime there. It's super cold. And, I mean, this guy climbed Everest. He knows better than to lie down on the ground and, you know, and not, I mean, just go another 100 yards or so or walk there and get some aid. Because, you know, like you lie down on the ground, you get frozen quickly. I mean, I remember I was at the Tahoe 100 uh, crewing and pacing a friend of mine one time. And it's, even though it's in July, it gets really cold there. And at 2 in the morning, we had to go down into this gully. And uh, we were coming up, and it was really cold. I mean, me and her were just trying to move just to stay warm. I remember she just wanted to stop. And we stopped, and I just, you know, we hugged each other and put our jackets over and just, you know, did it as short as we could. But I remember we went by one guy who was laying on the ground. And without a mat or something... All your body heat just... And I remember they ended up having to send people down there to get the guy out. And he was like a popsicle. So it was very strange. Like, why Kuros is laying on the ground and there's no real official word. And so I kind of went about my business. And now that I've looked on the internet, you know, he ended up getting to 83 miles. Um, the first thing I saw was that he was um, cold and fatigued. And I was like, Welcome to 24-hour races and welcome to Norway. I mean, come on, you're in Northern Europe in November. Of course it's going to be cold. I mean, he's a skinny mini, and you know, but hey, he's got the best Solomon gear in the world. Why are you cold? You're not running that fast. I mean, I've been cold, but you know, the year I did the six-day race with Kuros and Joe Fegis, you know, I remember running my mile 200 with Joe Fegis, and all he was wearing was shorts and a cap. 
I was wearing everything I owned because I was cold, but he was moving along. And so if you're moving good, you're okay. And so that was very strange. I was thinking, well, you know, and tired. Well, 10 hours in, you really shouldn't be tired in a 24-hour race. But, you know, fatigue is just what it is. You know, and this guy has run you know, Western States, and he's done hard rock and all this stuff. But those races, he doesn't have to just do this relentless pace. You know, you just got to run. You know, he's doing basically seven-minute miles the whole way. So, and then, you know, word comes out that he was having some knee issues or plantar fasciitis issues. And you're like, hey, <laughs> welcome to ultra running, especially on a 400-meter track, especially going that fast. I mean, I'm going 15, 16-minute miles, but the torque on your body going seven-minute miles, you know, nine, ten miles an hour, making all those left-hand turns and every four hours turning and doing right-hand turns or whatever. It's a tremendous amount of pounding and force on you, and, you know, it should be expected. So, anyways, long story is he dropped out. I mean, everybody's saying he dropped out, but technically he didn't. Uh, you know, it's a 24-hour race. You do a lap, you're in a race, you know. It's kind of like, I mean, I've been to races where I just haven't been feeling it. I went to a 72-hour race one time. There was only, like, 10 people in the race, half of them were doing a five mile loop, half of us were doing the two two mile loop. After 15, 20 miles, I was like, this sucks. I don't feel well. I don't want to do this. It's gonna to rain tomorrow. I went home and have a 20 something mile 72 hour. And hey, I, it's a 20 mile 72 hour. It's on the books and that's it. There's not asterisks by timed events. So I look at it like Killian didn't drop out. He ran 83 miles i remember years ago i was trying to do some kind of a scientific not scientific but some research trying to compare marathon times to 24-hour performances and so i was asking people on a facebook page to give me their numbers and so you know people were willingly giving me their marathon times you know and like my the time when i did 93 miles which is 10 miles further than killian went by the way not to brag just saying hey you know his his pr for 24 hours is 73 miles 83 miles it's just that's the way it is so i remember doing that you know when i did 93 miles my marathon was like about five hour marathon so i was trying to you know do the math and try and figure it out and i had a lot of people give me you know their marathon times and their 24 hour times but then i had a, a group of guys fairly well-known people people i know and you know they'd be like well my marathon's this but i only did this in a 24 because i stopped at 16 hours so in my spreadsheet which was public i would put you know you know, 310 marathon, uh, 92 miles for their 24 hour. And they'd get all upset that I'd do that. And I'd go, well, you're in a 24 hour race. How far did you go? 92 miles, but I stopped at 16. I'm like, and that's so, who the hell cares? You stopped at 16. It's a 24 hour race. You know, there's no, there's no winning or prizes. It's like you sign up for a 24 hour race, whatever you do. I mean, I did a six day race a couple years ago where I really wasn't having any fun. And I stopped with one lap to go is on a 400 meter track from hundred K. So I have a 61 mile six day. It is what it is, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, pat myself on the back, but I wish, you know, old school way you would just own it and say, that's my result. So just very, very strange that they went and did this whole thing. Very, very strange that they were so much of the media was just latching on to like that. There was, he's going to actually break this record from a, you know, 1997 23 years ago the Kuros you know did over 188 miles you know you had 303 kilometers and you know it's just strange that everyone kind of latched on like he's gonna do it you know and that's one thing that's kind of weird about today's uh, world we've got the internet at our fingertips we have so much information and everything and yet um people are delusional people like are just coming up like oh you know the six-day record for canadians is 500 plus miles oh i can do that you know that's just 
what, 83 miles a day? No big whoop. And they just talk about it and then people write about them and it's like don't you have google can you just google and see like hey no one's done this like i remember when i went back east and i met tishel kearns who is one of only 12 now there's 13 people in north america in the history of six-day racing since the 1870s who have done 500 miles and he told me oh yeah there's been only a dozen of us now there's 13 because bob hearn from california did it but I'm like, you know, it's like, it's not an easy feat. And so I'll be at like some six day races and there'll be a half a dozen guys talking about doing 500 miles. And I'll be like, I remember one time I was like at across the years and there was like eight guys talking about doing 500 miles. And I was like, if only a dozen people have done this in a hundred, you know, whatever it is, you know, going on 150 years, how is it possible that there's eight guys who just show up in the desert in Phoenix and are going to do 500 miles? So we're going to go from 12 to 18 in one race like what were all the people between 1870 and now they're pusses wusses whatever it's just strange same thing with like you know this record that kuros did you know shirt's 23 years old so by saying you're gonna come in and crush this record i think like the next nearest person's 10 miles behind him the best american is like 176 miles or something like a full half marathon behind kuros Kuros is just an amazing guy. He has records from he had records from 50 miles to a thousand miles, and just to come and say I'm going to break one this legend's records, but also oh all the people in the past 23 years, they weren't very good. They didn't know what they were doing. I'm the king of the mountains. I'm going to just come and crush this record first off the bat. You know I predicted he would probably run a decent hundred mile. Uh, he didn't even get to hundred miles. Um, I doubt he'll ever try this again. I would love to see him do it, but like actually go to a real race, you know, show up at one of the established races like Desert Solstice, even though Desert Solstice is in December, been there and crewed it many times. It's pretty dang cold, but it's a race where there's only 20, 25 people in it, you know, got competition, got coverage, you know, sure travel nowadays, but then again, like what's the Spaniard doing in Norway? So, and it is interesting too, that they didn't seem to be doing any COVID protocols at all, but that's another story. So I know this is kind of a long rant, but it's just kind of, I'm just getting so tired of, and then I also like love like coverage saying, and I used to do this at races too. People's like, oh, you know, my 50 mile, 100 mile, it was going so good until, you know, I started throwing up or this happened or that happened. And I'm like, you never say it was going well until you're done, you know, because if you get to 10 hours into a 24 hour race and then you're laying on the side of the track, things were never going well. You did something wrong. You went out too hard. You didn't train properly, whatever it was. But don't tell me you were doing well. You weren't doing well. You did something. You screwed up. And that's why you're now sitting at home while the rest of the people are continuing on with the event. I wish he had you know, continued. I mean, granted, if he's injured, I always tell people in races, but I've done this myself. I've dropped out of races for no real reasons either. But if you definitely have a mechanical injury, you know, a knee issue or, uh, you know, something structural injuries, you know, you should drop, live to fight another day. But if it's just you're tired and cold, suck it up and get back out there you know take a break to have some coffee get back out there and learn a lesson because you've definitely got to get out there and just be out there for the entire time yeah i know he's been out there the entire time you know doing hard rock or something like that but even then at hard rock i think his time is you know 24 hours practically so you know and then of course with western states he starts at 5 a.m he's done before it's dark so he's never really been out there all the time and of course himself says he doesn't really believe an ultra begins until after the 24 hour mark 
So it was an interesting, an interesting lesson on media and seeing how everybody just jumps on it. It's cool that tons more people have now been exposed. I was kind of watching the YouTube and tons of people asking the same questions. They always ask, like, do they sleep? What do they eat? What do they drink? Do they change clothes? Da, 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 da. So, you know, hopefully more people are interested in the sport. Um, and I just wish that people would not hype everyone up so much because, you know, respect the people that came before you. And, uh, you know, that's my take on it. And so, as always, stay healthy, be boring, not epic.